welcome back to uh, Bitcoin Breadcrumbs, guys. It's been a long time in the making, but Corey and I are sitting back down uh, because there is a lot that's happened in the past week. We're going to be talking about Bretton Woods 1, 2, and 3. We're going to be talking about the monetary reset. We're going to be talking about why uh, countries all around the world are halting their exports of food, grains, and fertilizers and discussing whether this is going to cause a food crisis. And, of course, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin because it looks as if uh, nation states are tripping over themselves to make Bitcoin legal tender. Um, so it's all happening. So pretty jam-packed episode. But before we get in on, before we get into it, <laughs> we should probably um, give a little shout out to today's show sponsor, who's obviously Coinbeast. So if you guys uh, need any sort of help um, with Bitcoin-related activities, you can book a one-on-one -on -one video call with a Bitcoin Pro um, over on Coinbase Connect. So we definitely highly recommend you go and check them out. And then another sponsor for today's uh, episode is Bitcoin Day. So we've all heard of Bitcoin Miami um, with their Bitcoin conference that's coming up in early April 2022. Uh, but Bitcoin Day is an up-and-coming uh, Bitcoin company that's holding Bitcoin conferences all across America. So their next up-and-coming uh, conference is actually on the 26th of March in Oklahoma City. Um, so definitely highly recommend you guys go and check them out. It's going to be more of a Bitcoin mining focused event. Obviously, there's going to be all sorts of Bitcoiners there. But if you want to, you know, engage one-on-one -on -one with a Bitcoin mining, mining expert, um, that's the event that you guys want to go to. So I think if you guys use a promo code uh, Coinbeast, you'll get 10% off your tickets. Uh, so definitely go and check that out and let's get into all the news of the week. All right, Luke, let's see what in the world is going on. Uh, you have Luke has up on the screen. If you're watching on the YouTube video, um, uh, Neil Jacobs uh, retweeting Max Kaiser's uh, tweet of the Honduran flag saying it's happening. So it's oh. all happening. I it's all happening. I would think that's happening soon, don't you think? I, I, I don't know the timing. This is literally the first um, I've seen of it, but I, I think it's massive. I think you touched on it in the intro. Like we're going to talk about kind of the geopolitics and the game theory of nation states at the moment because everything, what's that quote? There's decades where nothing happens and then there's weeks where decades happen. Yep. It, it really does feel like, especially since 2020, that, we've been living through kind of uh, like the suddenly phase of gradually and then suddenly. So I wouldn't be surprised if Honduras comes out and makes Bitcoin legal tender tomorrow, honestly. Um, all yeah. we've got at the moment is Max Kaiser putting this up on his uh, profile. Everyone knows Max. He, um, he's, he, he does get around a fair bit in Latin America. I, I think he knew about the El Salvador announcement well before anyone else did so it's interesting what, what do you think so how does that work can you explain better exactly what the imf does um for the plebs and stupid people like me that maybe don't completely uh research this stuff <laughs> uh so the imf they're kind of um so they're kind of like a western institution they were from memory. They're kind of like US based. So they're kind of like another arm of the US global reserve currency, I suppose. That's one way to put it. 
Um, obviously, I haven't looked into them as well as I should, but they were instituted in the 1940s after the US was granted the uh, global reserve currency status in 1944 after World War II. So all of these institutions got erected like the World Bank, the IMF, uh, Bank of International Settlements. They were all instituted just after the US got the global reserve currency status. So today the IMF, they've kind of, um, they've kind of been giving out all these loans to these kind of uh, bankrupt Latin American countries in particular um, and they've essentially been um, extending loans to these countries. They call it for things like foreign aid and helping them in desperate times, but um, I'm not as well-researched into the IMF as I probably should be. So basically they're going to, they're the, they're the ones that can come out and, and cut a check real quick and offer people some relief, different countries relief. Um, and I mean, so what they've been saying about El Salvador, they've been like, hey, you, you, you shouldn't do that. Um, we don't think that's a good idea. Um, and it's basically that they are going to rely less on the IMF. Um, and if they're relying, and I guess it's what it is, is it's a way for um, us to influence other countries, the United, us being the United States. Um, you know, in Western powers, because if you control the purse strings and, um, you know, you can, you can really dictate what goes on in different, uh, different places. Um, that's what I gather from it. Uh, maybe that that's a Neanderthal view of it, but, uh, <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's my view as well, Corey there. Um, so, um, they're kind of like the arm of the U S and, I always go to this chart called the uh, the Global Public-Private Partnership Chart. There's a really uh, illuminating article that I can link down below, but it essentially shows you the role of what all of these non-government organisations um, and where they kind of stand in the hierarchy in, in, de- in uh, kind of determining policy around the world. Like a lot of people think, oh, my, whatever my government does, that's been decided because I'm voting for my government and my government's you know, it has the interests of the country in its in its heart, but it actually doesn't. It's actually the government is where you see here in policy enforcers. Um, they're only in the middle of the kind of hierarchy. So you've got national governments and selected scientific authorities. You have all of these NGOs that are well above this. They're the actual policymakers. So you've got the World Economic Forum, the Club of Rome, the World Health Organization, the World Bank, and the IMF, which is who we're talking about at the moment. So they're the kind of the ones that are actually distributing the policies um, down to our governments, and our governments have to institute them um, because they've kind of bought into this global public-private partnership um, and this whole, like Klaus Schwab has a book called uh, Stakeholder Capitalism, um, and all of the governments have kind of bought a stake into this kind of global, quote-unquote, kind of movement. That's a that's another goddamn rabbit hole. Um, we could talk about that for hours, uh, but that's um, essentially the IMF. They sit above government and they distribute policy um, hmm. that people like Klaus Schwab would draw up. So they, um, so the Bitcoin being legal tender and circumventing uh, the need for them is definitely not with it. I mean, I'm kind of surprised it took a year 
no, not a year exactly, but I mean, if Honduras comes out and says that Bitcoin's legal tender and they pass a law, um, which I don't know how long their process is, like if they can just like jam it through like El Salvador did, or if it's going to be like, you know, it gets proposed and yada, yada. But um, I can't, I don't know. I mean, when it, when, when they came out last summer, um, El Salvador and announced it, did you think it would take this long? Like, did you think in March of 2022, we'd be sitting here and not have another country that have, that's made it legal tender yet? Uh, so the short answer would be no. I, at the time, I would have been surprised that a country hadn't made it legal tender six months later. But I've changed my mind probably, I don't know, maybe December or January. I think I kind of updated my thinking around it. I'm actually surprised the country made it legal tender. Um, I think uh, what you're going to see is more just Bitcoin-friendly regulations from countries. Um, I'm actually the, I'd be more surprised. Unquote, legal that, stuff. Yeah, like Ukraine legalizing Bitcoin and they, like uh, the city of Rio, um, I think that's in Brazil, they, they came out and they said, we're going to put 1% of our treasury into Bitcoin. And Panama last year put forward a friendly Bitcoin and quote unquote crypto bill. And I think that's more what you're going to see. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And I think we've seen lots of those announcements since El Salvador made it legal tender. So I, I'm so, um, so yeah, at the time, I, I would have been surprised that you tell me six months later, we haven't seen any other nation states make it legal tender. But what we have seen is lots of other nation states trip over themselves to be really friendly in terms of regulation towards Bitcoin. Why do you think um, more people are going to, what changed your thinking on it being surprising? They're like, like you're surprised actually now that anybody did and, and don't think it will happen as much. It's kind of like skipping a step. It's like Michael Saylor out of nowhere, just plonking his entire balance sheet in Bitcoin. It, it feels as if he skipped a step. Um, and that's kind of what legal tender feels like. Um, just for me, I think it, I think your first step is just going to be friendly regulations and then you're going to make every shop accept Bitcoin. Maybe in maybe six to 12 months down the line when Lightning's built out a little bit more because there's been a lot of issues with the Chivo wallet in El Salvador. Um, so I, I, I'm probably more expecting the infrastructure to get built out a little bit more first before you start to see nation states jump onto the, the Lightning network. Yeah. Yeah, no, they... I think uh, it was a good stress test, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. From that uh, from that perspective, it does seem like maybe it will take a little bit longer, um, you know. But part of me thinks like that this is just going to be like what we're about to live through is going to be this massive unwinding of the financial system, the global financial system. Um, and I'm wondering if like people like Honduras, you know, that apparently is going to make it legal tender. Um, are they basically like pulling the ripcord on their parachute? And, you know, are they are they are they preparing for what's about to happen? I mean, because it's going to just be it's going to be ugly. Um, and I don't know. Um, it it is going to be ugly. Uh, I think countries that do it first are going to be are going to benefit the most. 
So it doesn't surprise me that still Honduras... doesn't mean it's going to be smooth for them. It's still going to be rough. Um, you know, you're you're, you're putting a, <laughs> an entire country, you're orange pilling. Um, and if anyone has gone through the orange pilling process, um, you know how up and down and, and wild that can be. Um, it's, you know, Honduras, I see it down there. I mean, the Cayman Islands are right there. That's why so many businesses, as Michael Scott said, that's why so many businesses are moving to the Caymans. Um, that's, I think, jurisdictions, why I wouldn't be surprised to see Honduras accepted as legal tender. I mean, they're right next door to El Salvador. Um, so that's yeah. very interesting. Uh, very, very, very interesting. Um, I mean, it, this is the only way for all these countries to save themselves in this this current mess that we're in. And um, I'll tell you what, like, so we got to talk about this a little bit and it's kind of related a little bit, but like we'll get back to the, to the IMF thing. Um, but like, you know, you have these small players like Honduras and everything, these really small countries that um, I think they can see the writing on the wall that there might be, you know, like a big WW3 coming up or something like that. And they need to survive. Um, so maybe this is their parachute. This is their lifeboat. Um, because one of the things that, so I, I have a neighbor, um, one of my, it lives acres away up here in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, I bought firewood from him. I don't know if I said this on the podcast before, but I bought firewood from him in bitcoin i paid him in bitcoin um so i thought that was like it was funny it was like this old old archaic transaction of like buying firewood like oh you know me caveman buy firewood to make house warm um and uh but he's like getting into bitcoin and everything um and so i paid him in bitcoin um then we were talking about everything and i kind of like briefly just went through the whole petrodollar thing with them like very surface level and um you know kind of explained like yeah you know see saddam tried to use the year except euros for the um oil and you know boom we took him out and then same thing with gaddafi took him out um so we have all these headlines recently in the last week or so of uh of saudi arabia now accepting other currencies for oil completely going off the petrodollar and so he texts me he texts me like a couple days ago and he goes you were telling me about the whole like you know it would be really bad if if uh, we went off the or like if saudi arabia like didn't accept dollars and i said oh yeah and he's like okay i thought so he's like is this good i said or good or bad i was like it's not great um, but I think it's kind of interesting because I don't know how close you followed it, Luke, but like, you know, so things are getting shaky. I think the, I think the U S is being seen as a joke on the, on the, our leadership, not just the president. Like I'm talking about like, like literally every politician is being seen as a joke. Um, and, and, uh, so they they understand that these are just puppets that are kind of cowards and um so yeah so biden tried to call saudi arabia and like have a meeting with them and they were like no 
and it's like that was weird because i was like that's like the old that's their old partner their old buddy back in the you know that's their that's their friend that started this petrodollar system with them um they've had each other's backs um rightly or wrongly and all of a sudden saudi arabia says no and then they started taking um the chinese yuan um in exchange for oil and i was like something weird is going on something is something's something's up i don't know it's massive like this is what i wanted to get into when we started talking about russia and the food crisis that's coming down the pipeline the petrodollar died last week i'm pretty sure this happened after our podcast last week but like you said Saudi, the petrodollar is built on these Middle Eastern countries taking, selling their oil in US dollars. And like you said, Gaddafi, Saddam Hussein from Iraq, who tried to price oil in euros in 2001, both of them got invaded and their heads, God knows, you know, well, Gaddafi didn't get his head cut off. He got, he got sodomized, but that's neither here or there. What happens is the US dollar has defended that petrodollar at all costs. And then in the past month, what you've seen is Saudi Arabia give the US the middle finger um, and price and and price their oil in yuan with China for trade. You've also seen Russia and China uh, do do oil trade in euros. Pretty sure Belarus as well is trading um, is trading oil with Russia, not in US dollars. You've literally just watched the unwinding of the petrodollar system. It's it's massive. Um, and I think it's probably like one of the biggest monetary events um, in the past probably 50 years since since the Nixon shock in 1971. I think the past two to three weeks, uh, we've watched that next big kind of monetary reset. There was a really good paper uh, done by a dude called uh, Zoltan Polzar or something mm-hmm. like that. He's a former... Swiss, Credit Swiss, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. I, th- I recommend everyone go and check that out. Check that out. He kind of talks about the Zoltan. difference between... Do you ever see Dude, Where's My Car? No. God, that movie probably came out before you were born. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm doing this Zoltan, All Hail Zoltan. It's from... It has nothing to do with Zoltan Pol's Pazvar, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, I uh, well before my time there, Corey. Um, but yeah, I mean, go and read that article. He talks about Bretton Woods one and why the Nixon shock in 1971 was actually the Bretton Woods two moment that we've all been waiting for for the past couple of years. And he argues that Bretton Woods three actually started uh, three weeks ago when uh, Russia had their FX reserves frozen because that's what the global reserve uh, economic system has been built on since 1971. Since Nixon closed the gold window, every single country around the world held their reserves and did trade in FX reserves, foreign currencies. And now that Russia's had their foreign currencies or FX reserves frozen, it's going to kind of really sound an alarm bell that all these nation states uh, need to find a new um, neutral settlement asset or a new asset to keep their reserves in. And so Zoltan calls this Bretton Woods 3. And I think the past two weeks is, is the largest monetary event in 50 years. Um. And so the FX reserves, I mean, that's the money that we froze was their dollars, right? What's that? 
we were we froze russia's dollars it was a combination i think it was like i can't, I can't remember the exact breakdown but it's like 20 percent dollars 20 percent euros uh it was a breakdown um so, so they 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 have seen what we um i mean the fragility of their own financial system because every like i'm talking about they other countries they all see how quickly it can change on a dime um so i i agree with you that like it is kind of skipping a step going straight to legal tender um but i think in this messy time where people are going to have to pull the ripcord on their parachute a lot earlier at a much higher elevation than they had planned on pulling the ripcord or what would be advisable. Um, uh, Cause I mean, you can't, you can't just be sitting. If you're so dependent on foreign currencies, you can't be just sitting there and at the whims of, you know, other politicians and, you know, pretty soon eventually the different countries are going to be like, all right, let's pick sides. You know, what side are you on? Are you on our side? Are you on the other side? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't I, agree more. I just get this I, weird feeling about it. I don't know. The vibe is off. Um, you know, it's very reminiscent to what we were going through two years ago at this time. Um, I, yeah. Something's off. Something's it's weird. just an escalation. Like this is the really, really people, people call me crazy. Like we, we did a podcast. The first podcast we ripped together, I said, we're going to see hyperinflation before 2025. And that's kind of my, my argument for why we're going to see um, $10 million Bitcoin, I think by 2025, but I think definitely before 2030. And everyone calls me crazy for that, but it's, we're living through the suddenly phase of a long-term debt cycle. It all happens at the very end. And I think you're going to continue to see things like Honduras looking to make Bitcoin legal tender. You're going to continue to see uh, Russia and maybe these other uh, countries. Um, they might even bring out like a gold-backed digital yuan or a gold-backed digital ruble. That's obviously going to fail in the long run, but you're going to see an escalation as people try to um, escape the US dollar um, and we move on to this kind of Bretton Woods three era. And I think obviously that all bodes well for Bitcoin. And that kind of explains why you're seeing the IMF shit their pants. At this week, they came out. Um, that's what I've got up on screen at the moment. I've got it highlighted. Um, the IMF was having a loan or a debt renegotiation with Argentina. And part of that renegotiation uh, was Argentina has agreed to discourage the use of cryptocurrency as a condition of a $45 billion loan from the IMF. So as the further we get towards the end game, you're going to continue to see like big news events like we're seeing, which is really interesting. I think like the past 24 months has been ridiculously interesting from kind of a macroeconomic standpoint. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think the thing that sucks is this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt you know, everyday people, it's not going to hurt the elites or the politicians. Um, and, uh, you know, like you're alluding to there, I mean, with, with all this stuff happening, like there's going to be food shortages and there's going to be, um, I, I recommend to everybody, this is this podcast is not financial advice, but I will give you some advice here. Um, get like six months of non-perishables on hand. 
um, and make sure that you're uh, you're you're stocking up because um, you don't want to get. I mean, that's why we moved to the country and got away from everything because I don't want to be living in an, in a neighborhood um, when when all of this shit goes south. <laughs> Which couldn't agree more. I think that's sound advice. Um, that's something else I wanted to touch on this week because um, it's all going down. Uh, Russia suspended fertilizer exports to the rest of the world. Um, so for anyone who knows kind of their agriculture, obviously fertilizers are very, very key ingredient if you're going to be producing a lot of food. Um, so that's massive. Russia does that. And then you've seen uh, in the past two weeks, you've seen countries, uh, you've seen Belarus, Serbia, Indonesia, Egypt, uh, Syria, Lebanon, you've seen absolute handfuls and handfuls of countries come out and say, guess what? We're not exporting any food uh, for the foreseeable future. We're not exporting food because we're worried about shortages coming down the line. So I think food crisis is coming. Um, I think it's it was always going to come. So there was actually, if we look back in October 2021, um, the Brazilian Prime Minister, President, came out in October the 7th and he said, look, in 2022, you're going to have food shortages. Um, we've, we've seen a massive price spike in fertilisers in 2021. So that's a chart I've got up on screen at the moment. Fertiliser was absolutely skyrocketing. Um, and obviously, um, the reason why it's important, why I'm highlighting the Brazil's uh, president and what he was saying in 2021. It's important because Brazil is like the third largest um, food exporter around the world. So here's a list of all the large food exporters around the world. Brazil's number three on that list. And if their president's coming out in late 2021 saying, hey, look, there's going to be a food shortage in 2022. Prices are going to go up because the prices of fertilizer have gone up lots in 2021. Um, and then obviously, then Russia comes out in the past two weeks and kind of says, yeah, we're not exporting any fertilizer, boys. It's only going to exacerbate uh, what was already coming down the pipeline. Um, so I think that's massive, all of it. I think the food crisis is going to be huge. Now that Russia's taken over Ukraine, they actually control 25% of the world's wheat exports. Um, as we can see by this chart, Russia already had about 13 or 14% of the world's wheat exports. And then Ukraine actually has another large chunk of the world's wheat exports. So Russia kind of, if it's assumed that they're going to take the entirety of Ukraine, they, they control a lot, a, a lot of food, a lot of fertilizer, um, and they're going to probably use it as a geopolitical weapon moving forward. So secure your own uh, food resources, plebs. Get chickens. That's my next yeah, step. Yeah, get chickens. That's my um that's that's one of my projects for um as we get uh, head towards summer here is my wife has always wanted to have our own chickens. She wants to have a goat too eventually, but um I, I get baby steps. I gotta do one for the other. But um, you know, uh we see a lot of chickens, we see lots of we I mean we see wild turkeys all the time too. So um we out here won't have problem with food shortage uh, if we take care of ourselves properly. Although I'm not a hunter, I got to work on that. My son 
my oldest will not he would not let me hunt he is an animal lover he love he's like we joke and say saint francis is the patron saint of animals or something like that we call him saint francis because he just like he wants to, he loves zoos he loves all that kind of stuff he's always pretending to take care of animals so you know but i'm like yeah if we hit if shit hits the fan uh daddy's just gonna have to go into the woods and uh come back with burgers <laughs> come back with some burgers for you to eat um, yeah uh it's just uh it's it's a little yeah i don't know i mean if it's like you you can say this over and over again you can only say it so many times before like people are either going to get it or they're just not going to get it and i feel like that's it's kind of where we're getting you know like all, all, all of us bitcoiners have been saying this stuff till we're blue in the face um and uh i guess it's hard to reconcile how do you reconcile that with your family you know what i mean like family that won't listen and stuff like that and people you care about and you're like all right i guess you're just not going to get it um you know when it actually happens they're going to be you know knocking on your door asking you know what where can we get food you know i don't know it's nuts Dude, that's the that's the sad thing about hyperinflations economic resets um all of the above happens gradually then suddenly and us bitcoin is we've been screaming about it for ages, the reality is most people are, are going to act when it's too late. Um, all we can do is continue kind of warning, educating, and trying to get as many people onto the little Bitcoin lifeboats as we can and get them off the sinking ship that is fiat money. Um, Corey, what did yeah. you think about this? Um, yep. If you wouldn't, wouldn't mind chucking the tinfoil hat on for a moment, um, uh, I should China, get one myself because yeah, yeah, I, I lost mine in the moving process. Um, but China was hoarding wheat and grains all throughout 2021. Um, and I thought that was very, very interesting. This article here says China is expected to have 69% of the world's maize uh, by early 2022, and also 60% of the world's rice reserves and 51% of the world's wheat. Oh, wheat, sorry, plebs, uh, despite them only having 20% of the world's population. Um, so I, th- I think I thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm Lord Fusatua. I'm sure you remember hearing him say it in Twitter spaces, but uh, they are outright, they've outright said that, they, that the, this century is going to be China's. Um, mm they're going to own this century. Um, what did he say? He said that they told him um, that, and they, by the way, is like, he was at like in Beijing at the highest levels um, of like, you know, I mean, Tonga is where he's from and it's very, very small population, but, um, but they have diplomatic ties. Um, he said that they said unequivocally that the, the 1800s, um, where Great Britain's 1900s were the United States and the 2000s will be theirs. Um, so they're not messing around. Um, you know, of course, right on cue, we see they were doing lockdowns again there. So, but unfortunately, I think people aren't buying it. Um, this time around, everybody's just like, yeah, okay. Um, but uh, we, we, here's, here's your tinfoil hat territory. 
they've they've hoarded half the world's food, so they've got their food secured. Um, I, I think it's interesting that them and Russia have teamed up. They've essentially formed an alliance. They're settling trade together. Uh, China took off um, the tariffs that they had on Russian wheat, and they said, we'll buy it all off you now that you've been sanctioned by the West. I think it was, I just thought it was interesting. Obviously, Russia would have been planning this invasion of Ukraine for a long time, and I wouldn't be surprised if they told their buddies uh, China about it and they said, hey, look, this is what we're doing. Maybe that's why China was stocking up on grains throughout 2021. And like you said, they do, they are very kind of long-term oriented in their thinking. So that's their plan. Yeah, I mean, they're like, they see it as a generational thing. You know, like they are very culturally, they don't think um, like we do where it's just self gratification and taking care of yourself and, you know, temporary fixes. They, they're very much on the, like, they know that they're going to set up a, a system that's going to benefit their um, descendants. Um, you know, and they might not necessarily experience it. Um, it's just culturally something that um, I've, I've learned about them. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's some respect to that. Obviously I don't like the way they're going about it. Um, you know, but that's uh, the ultimate like low time preference, you know, um, is uh, thinking about how your descendants will benefit from your actions today, which is something that all Bitcoiners do. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think, I think they're, you know, they've taken taken over manufacturing they've taken over everything and now they've they've got the u.s by the balls um if the u.s doesn't start i mean the u.s can fix this situation um you know by starting to produce becoming energy independent and fixing our agriculture here in the united states and not letting bill gates bitch tits bill gates uh, run the you know own all the farmland like it's it's fixable um and uh, i think it's think? winnable yeah I, I think it's not just fixable i think it's winnable i used to hear all this stuff about china and it's all true like china is that's their um, plans it's just not actually going to work yeah that's right it's not because they've shot themselves in the foot on many different um, in many different aspects. One, communism always fails, always has, always will. Central planning is always going to fail. Two, China has a massive water um, water and energy crisis that they're living through. Like they have drained all of their water wells and reserves in China. And once you've drained them, you, you don't just let them, they don't just replenish if you don't tap them for 10 years and let the rain rain. Once you've tapped your water reserves, they're tapped, they're gone, they're done. Um, So that's two. Uh, Communism, uh, they fucked up with uh, their water reserves and they're having an energy crisis, which is why they're probably being so friendly to Russia because they're very energy rich. So Mm -hmm. I thought that relationship's interesting. They've also shot themselves in the foot in terms of Bitcoin. They did the same thing in the 18 and the 1900s in terms of the gold standard, the rest of the world operated on the gold standard. China said, fuck you, we're going to be communist. We're going to stay on the silver standard. Um, and through a uh, through, uh, hundred years there, China lost 80% of its purchasing power to the West because it operated on inferior money. 
And it looks like they're going to do the same thing again today, uh, banning Bitcoin. And then, so that's number three. They've also got a fourth thing that's going to shoot them in the foot, and that's terrible demographics. They have like the worst demographics around the world. Um, What's well, that single that's child? They... The single child pol- or one child policy is it biting them in the butt. I mean, which, by the way, like it's just the most disgusting thing that's ever happened. One of the most disgusting things that's ever happened um, in a very like uh, non. I mean, it's. I guess there's violent elements to it but in a non-violent way um it's just such a shame but yeah is that, i mean it's just it's driving their population to this like terrible end is that what you were getting at with the demographics yeah but they that uh one child policy they actually reversed that in late 2021 because they realized that their demographics are so fucked and so screwed so i think for them to actually reverse a law that's so big and well, you know, well known in China um, for kind of underpinning their culture. I think that's a massive kind of admittance of defeat. So essentially that whole random tangent was just to say, look, China looks powerful. Yeah, China's the quote unquote rising superpower in Ray Dalio's new book. They're very long-term oriented in their thinking, the, the manufacturing powerhouse of the world. But I don't think they're as powerful as most people give them credit for. And I actually think uh, the US is probably still going to be the dominant power for the rest of the 2000s. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, what else did we want to get into or do you have to run? Um, I think I do have to run plebs, but the last thing we had on the docket, we've actually discussed everything. Um, the only thing left was El Salvador has, uh, delayed its bond issuance. Um, so I think that's interesting. Hoddle Magoo, our our friend Hoddle Magoo has been, (laughs) he's been beating that back and forth. He's been all over that. He Hoddle was all over it. Um, I actually messaged him on Twitter today or I tweeted at him today in a thread and I said, um, hurry up and get in the spaces. I want to pick your brains about this because I don't really know what to think about it. I I don't know. I don't want to have an opinion on it because I haven't looked into it as deeply as I should, but I think it's certainly interesting that El Salvador's um, kind of canned their volcano bonds. Um, Hoddle Magoo said they're always not going to go through. So hat tip to Hoddle Magoo, he nailed it. Um, but you know, I think, did they did not too. Have... I think Shinobi was on that too, but yeah, they both oh, yeah. Magoo's been the one that's uh, let's just say most vocal about it. <laughs> He's been carrying that torch, that's for sure. Don't you worry about that. Um, yeah, but by yeah, the I'm way, not sure Clubs, if they... you guys know if you know who Hoddle Magoo is, you should follow. If you don't know who he is, you should look him up and follow him. But I'm actually him and I have been back and forth trying to schedule a time because he's the only one that called the call the fallback. Um, uh, and, uh, and um, yeah, it's just been, uh, we haven't been able to settle a time. So we're working on that, but, uh, but yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Tune into that one. He's probably the most entertaining uh, person on Bitcoin Twitter or one of the most entertaining uh, people on Bitcoin Twitter. He says some pretty funny things there on spaces. So uh, go and give him a follow um, and tune into the. Um, I'm jealous that you've got him on, mate. I um, I wouldn't mind. Uh, Maybe we should tag team that one. That wouldn't be the worst idea, actually. Wouldn't be the yeah. worst idea. 
Um, he's always he's tough. He's a tough person to nail down for a time. Um, he's, he uh, he's I don't know what he does, like trading or he he manages different portfolios or something. But he's always he's always busy. Then he uh, you know randomly drops into spaces. So, anyways, all right, plebs. Well, appreciate all of you guys uh, you know listening and make sure you uh, follow us, sub- like and subscribe. Smash that like button. Uh, that like button. Um, <laughs> Do all the cringy stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but uh, and yeah, if you uh, also, I'll just throw this out there. Check out Movies Plus. We got some shiz going down there. But we got some Bitcoin stuff up there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I say, uh, you know, let's. Uh, we'll catch you guys next time. And we appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast as well, not just our YouTube channel. And we'll get you. We'll catch you on the flippity flip. See you later, warehouse. Michael Scott, remember? Catch you later, warehouse. Catch you on the flippity flip. (laughs) Um, Yeah, see you guys. Have a good one.